Oramai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. Well, we've got a few firsts on today's programme. Very shortly, I'll have the pleasure of my first full-length chat with the Chair of District or Leader of the Methodist Church here on the Isle of Man, who we think may well be the first Manx-born Chair of District in living memory, and who is very definitely the first woman ever to take on this particular leadership role on the island. She's Reverend Dr Janet Corlett, and when I asked her to choose an opening hymn for us, she said, play my mother's favourite. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. Janet's parents live in Onken and worship in the Methodist Church there. Mr and Mrs Corlett, Moromai, this is Janet's choice for you. The St. Michael Singers and How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds in a Believer's Ear, the choice of my guest this morning, born and educated on the island, Manx through and through, and now Chair of District or Leader of the Methodist Church here on the island. Reverend Dr. Janet Corlett, good morning and welcome. Morning, Judith. Janet, your work experience and your ordained ministry has taken you far away from the land of your birth, places as diverse as the Philippines, India, Italy, Zimbabwe and the Honduras, as well as London and Yorkshire. 
but as you travelled, was the thought of being ordained travelling with you? No, not at all. I had my heart set on agriculture and possibly doing overseas development work. When I became more committed in my faith, then that moved into missionary type overseas development. It was quite a long way through my scientific career that the possibility of working full-time in the church came up really. I found that I felt a lot more fulfilled doing the pastoral work as the union rep than I did getting on with my science research. Science is quite cutthroat, it's quite ego-driven and I just thought, Janet, you're a Christian, you're in church, you're doing youth work and actually now you're doing pastoral work in your day job and this feels right, you know, think about it. When I trained, I asked to train in Birmingham on an inner city programme to have that experience of working with different faiths and very multi-ethnic inner city environment. So my first appointment was in East London for five years and I really enjoyed the church there with many Ghanaian, Caribbean and good East End folks. And then I had four years, four and a half years in Honduras as a mission partner and then nine years in Bermondsey as the director of the South London Mission and minister for Bermondsey Central Hall. We had a night shelter, we had a hostel, we had food bank, we had housing and benefits advice. I worked with a brilliant small staff So practically anyone who came through the door, we not only could welcome them, but we had ways possibly of helping make life a bit fuller, a bit richer, a bit easier. And um, for homelessness, one of the main causes is not having a network. People think homelessness is caused by lots of other things. It's the, the stereotype, you know, about drink or drugs or gambling or whatever. But often it's when you don't have a network of people who will scoop you up or anyone to go to. We're all an unfortunate incident, a step away from disaster sometimes. But if you have a family, if you have friends to call on, but if you think about people, particularly people who've arrived from other countries, they don't have that community support. And it can be incredibly lonely and that leads to to homelessness quite often. And the problem is that when we're down, it is so easy to go further down. Feeling of hopelessness can overtake us, any of us. You put it so well when you say it's having somebody to scoop you up. Mm. There's sometimes a popular misconception that if, well, like yourself, if you're in ordained ministry, that you have a kind of protective coating around you, that you can go out and work in difficult situations with people who are quite challenging and you'll be okay. But that's not necessarily the case, Janet, is it? Mm. Sometimes people think that ministers are otherworldly and we don't know what the world's like. And actually, we probably see, depending where we are and whether we've got our eyes open, but we're not naive about what the world's like. Things that happen we can't talk about sometimes and what people tell us or what we see. And it can take its toll if we don't have a good support network and as ministers, if we're not really, really rooted in the love of God and in, in a personal, I'd call it vocational holiness. I know that's it's a term, may not mean much to some people, but it's about I need to keep my relationship with God strong, just me and Janet. So it's not all about my work, but I'm rooted in God 
because we can face really, really, really tough stuff. In my own experience, I've I've seen someone shot and killed right in front of me. I've been in an earthquake, um, hurricane, buried tiny babies, sat with people dying, and in London with people who were homeless. We had to cope with quite a lot of challenging behaviour and I ended up with one of the guys in the homeless shelter becoming fixated with one of the staff, stalking her. And then when she had to leave London and the job, he ended up resentfully stalking me. And, you know, there's no protection from that, really. And when you're a public person, all the advice about what to do actually doesn't work when you're a public person and when you need to be available. You have to find other ways to to try and be safe. It's been an experience that's helped me understand and research some different challenges around stalking, cyber stalking and the sort of social media issues that can lead people into very vulnerable and difficult situations that are really hard to cope with. I think people will be familiar with the most common form of stalking, which is where there's been a, a relationship, a romantic relationship, and that's broken down, a marriage or, a, you know, people have been together for a while and then one of the couple can't accept that it's over and they keep trying to make contact and that can escalate. It can be linked to domestic violence. But public figures often end up with resentful stalkers, which is what I ended up with, and that basically everything that's wrong with that person's life, they blame you or they focus all their inadequacies or or vulnerabilities. So celebrities can have that type of stalker or politicians, ministers, a royal family even. They have a dedicated police presence to deal with that type of person because it's happening all the time, but people don't talk about it. And the danger of not talking about something almost denies that it is happening. And I don't think that's helpful to somebody who, say, is in a a domestic situation and being stalked. They need to know that it's important and serious and they need professional help, don't they? Mm. I think there's the manipulation of stalking and actually the misunderstanding of it has made it a very difficult area for individuals to deal with and, and the police and those that support them. And quite often people minimise the impact or they don't understand what impact it might have. It's discouraged me from talking about it sometimes because of the reactions I've had. People assume that it must be easy to solve, that you must have done something wrong. It's not an easy thing to talk about, so you pick your places. But for me, when I came to the island, I faced this choice. Do I accept the role and come to the island? and put myself more visibly in the public eye or not. So it was actually, it could have stopped me taking this role and being on the island. And over the last year, I have kept my head down to some extent just because of this issue and not wanting that to become a a distraction from the ministry. When things were really complex and difficult for you and challenging, what was it that kept you going through the worst times? I always remind myself that I do have a choice and I choose to stay. And I choose to stay with God's help and always looking for support and trying to be as open and honest as, as I can because it helps other people. 
And if I'm experiencing this, it helps me be a better minister. You can't run away from difficulties. You have to work through them. And that's what I've tried to do. I'm grateful that you are talking now because it is bringing this a very painful and and very complex subject out into the open. I'm also very, very glad that it didn't stop you coming to the island because there is a wonderful completeness about you coming back to the island with all this experience to lead the Methodist Church. Was there a certain amount of, of excitement in thinking, I'm coming back, you know the island, which is a massive advantage, you know the island, Manxbourne, you know the people. So did you come with a blank sheet of paper or did you come with a dream? I came with a settled conviction that this is God's work and not my work because a lot of people were saying you're coming into a difficult situation with a declining church what are you going to do about it and you could feel incredibly responsible and it could weigh very heavily and I always say in reply it is God's work and I'm a very small part of God's mission, God's work. And I had a vision really of the church, as the Bible says, as abiding in Christ as the vine. And as we abide in Christ, we are fruitful. And there may be times of pruning and there may be times when we wait for growth. But if we spend all our time building trellises and worrying about whether the trellis is straight, it's an image, isn't it? So I came with this strong desire to make sure we spend more time in fellowship, worship, prayer, discernment as leadership together, more time than we spend discussing property, money, you know, the the trellis, which is important, the governance, it needs doing, but that can absorb you and you forget that that's a waste of time if we're not abiding in Christ, growing as the vine and discerning where, where God really wants us to be working. I'm sure that'll be something Janet and I will be discussing again in the future. But before we run out of time today, there's a global aspect to Janet's ministry I want to touch on. Whilst she was pastor of the Bermondsey Central Hall Methodist Church and the South London Mission based there, Janet also became a representative on the World Council of Churches, serving in the Commission for Mission and Evangelism. The World Council of Churches, which was first talked about just before the outbreak of the Second World War, brings together churches, denominations and fellowships in more than 120 countries and territories throughout the world, representing over 580 million Christians and including most of the world's Orthodox churches, scores of Anglican, Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist and Reformed churches, as well as many united and independent churches. The World Council of Churches is a unique space where they can reflect, speak, act, worship and work together. The General Assembly of the World Council of Churches draws together some 4,000 delegates and is usually held every eight years. The most recent one was in late August this year in Germany, and I asked what, for Janet, had been the high point of her time there. Always for me, the worship. Worshipping with every tribe and nation in lots of different languages. Hello, herzlich willkommen here in Karlsruhe. Heute ist der 7. September. Hello everyone, welcome here in Karlsruhe for this day nine of our conference here. A full day of activities and it starts as usual with a prayer moment. So let's see if our friends in the prayer tent are ready to worship. 
was an amazing guy who sang in Arabic very very moving just the completely different sound of his music and voice and then in our ecumenical conversation there was a female pastor from Zimbabwe she was the first pastor in her country to be ordained as a deaf person and in our ecumenical conversation because it was about disability We had people who spoke different languages and that included sign language and we had people who were sight impaired or physically impaired and having those conversations about faith slowly so that everyone was included, that was amazing. You have to slow down, that's the biggest learning. We just run all the time and in church we want to be efficient and we can't be inclusive and we can't go at God's pace and leave people behind And talking about different languages leads us very nicely into your desire to start doing services here on the island in two languages. Let's talk about that. It's a huge part of affirming the identity of the Manx people to value the language. And we are trying to reinstate regular services that may have at least some elements of the Manx language. And we're kicking off next Sunday the 16th at Balabeg Methodist in the evening with a bilingual service. I mean, my Manx is very small and very atrocious, but just feel it's really important for us to, to celebrate and to remember that God speaks Manx as well. And so that will be an open invitation for anybody who wants to join you for that service with some English and some Manx. Balabeg next Sunday evening at half past six. That's right. And refreshments to follow. Reverend Dr. Janet Corlett, Chair of District, Head of the Methodist Church on this island, thank you very much indeed for talking to us this morning. Thank you, Judith.
from Annie Kissick's beautiful Manx Mass and sung there by Ruth Kegan-Gell and Kurjin Kujak. That's the musical setting of the prayer Lord Have Mercy and will be sung at the Sound of Eternity, worship in Manx and English at Balabeg Methodist Chapel next Sunday evening at half past six. There'll be musical help from members of the Manx Choir Kurjin Kujak and harpist Krista McCartney will play. During refreshments after the service, Janet would like to chat about having more bilingual services in the future. If you can't be at the service next Sunday evening but would like to know more, give Reverend Janet a call on 301 910. And now it's time to welcome back someone else who's Manx-born, Ruth Rice, who usually joins us each week to share another letter from her personal alphabet of well-being. But this week, she's talking about the well-being retreat that she's going to be leading on the 28th, 29th and 30th of October at Tide of A, the island's newest retreat house based in Ballawattleworth House in Peel. And as you'll hear, it's something that Ruth's really keen about. I'm so looking forward to being over on the Isle of Man at the end of the month to take the well-being retreat at the Tide of A retreat house. I hear that all the residential places have gone, but there's still a few non-residential places. So you can still come and join us for that whole weekend to look after your well-being, to practice a few new habits, to spend some time on your own with God and together with other people. Friday night, we'll have something to eat together. We'll talk about what well-being is. We'll have a little bit of a reflection time and there'll be some time for you to Get on your own with God and listen to him. And then on the Saturday, we'll take a scaffolded look right through the five ways to well-being with lots of time for you to go and explore the beautiful environments of this new retreat house and, of course, all that Peel has to offer and take some time on your own as well as together to really try out some new habits of well-being. Sunday morning together, we shall worship God and we'll take time in quiet and reflect on all that we've learned and work out what well-being could look like in our lives together. Please join us if you're free and you're able to join us. Get in touch with the Tide of A Retreat House team and they will book you in for that weekend. Really looking forward to being there. See you later in the month. Thank you, Ruth Rice, who founded the mental health charity Renew Wellbeing following her own breakdown some 12 years ago. If you'd like to book one of those non-residential places on Ruth's Wellbeing Retreat at the end of October, have a word with either Judy or David on 609-299-609-299 or email them. Welcome at retreathouse.im is the email address. And you'll also find full details of Ruth's retreat and lots more besides on the website www.retreathouse.im. And incidentally, non-residential bookings include meals and refreshments every day. And now let's take a look at the rest of our notice board. And this afternoon, Bride Methodist Chapel invite you to their Harvest Festival service this afternoon at half past two. The preacher will be Reverend David Shirtliffe. There'll be items by Sunday school children and the service will be followed by afternoon tea. 
Also today, Balagheri Methodist Chapel invites you to celebrate the harvest with them. First with a service this afternoon at half past two, which will be led by Mrs Pauline Corlett. Then tomorrow evening in Balagheri, there'll be a service and an auction of fruit and veg, led by Mrs Rita Norrie. That's tomorrow, Monday evening at seven o'clock. Back to this evening and there's another concert in Lazare Church and Arts Centre, tonight at a quarter past seven. It's an evening of Baroque instrumental music presented by the Burnbray Ensemble and the Kirk Michael Chamber Orchestra. Admission is free, there'll be refreshments served during the interval and parking will be in the field below the church with people there to help and guide. There's limited parking by the church itself with wheelchair access to both the church and toilet facilities. On Tuesday, there's a morning to raise funds for the Isle of Man Anti-Cancer Association and it's in Sandygate Methodist Chapel on Jerby Road. It'll be open and serving hot drinks, biscuits and cakes from 10 until noon this Tuesday the 11th. There are no set charges, just your donations will be gratefully received. On Thursday evening, Paul Crane MLC is giving a talk in St John's Parish Church Hall starting at 7 o'clock. Paul's a social scientist known for his work on population imbalance on the island and the effects of climate change. He's also got a strong Christian faith, is a Methodist local preacher and sees science and faith as entirely complementary. He's also a very engaging speaker and this promises to be a really interesting evening. This Thursday at 7 in St John's Parish Church Hall. No charge, no need to book, just a warm welcome for all. Looking ahead now to next weekend and Selby Methodist Church will celebrate their Harvest Thanksgiving with a service starting at half past ten led by Louise Whiteleg. And Crosby Methodist Chapel have their Harvest Thanksgiving next Sunday morning at 11, when they'll be joined by Moran Parish Church for a service led by Reverend Sean Turner. The Cool Chapel, on the edge of the Isle of Man Business Park, have their harvest service also next Sunday. It's next Sunday evening at half past six, when the preacher will be Reverend Sean Turner, and the service will include items by the young people of the Cool. The harvest celebrations will continue next Monday evening, the 17th, at 7 o'clock, when you're warmly invited back to the cool to enjoy a hot pot supper and a quiz. And finally, the Mariner's Choir will be in Baldrine Methodist Chapel next Sunday evening for a service starting at half past six, at which Reverend Brian Yardy will preach. The service will be followed as usual by supper and community hymn singing. And that's all that we have time for now, but I'll be back tonight at nine for sundown. Easy listening music to round off your weekend, and I'd love you to join me if you can. Do please email me if you've got items for the notice board. My address is judithlay at manxradio.com. So, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening, and I wish you and those you love a blessed and peaceful week, and a very good morning. The nation stays